How are we doing for our summer vacation? Having a good time? You doing anything spectacular? We're going out of town? No? Staying, hanging low? All right. Well, it is a great time to be a Christian, isn't it? We're living in a season right now that, uh, that I think is fertile ground for God to do something wonderful. God is just looking for some folks that's willing to, to step out in faith and do something extraordinary. Uh, this morning, I am going to be talking uh, with you this morning. The title of my message, if you want to give it a title, is When Faith is Tested. When Faith is Tested. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, God, for this privilege that we have. I pray, God, that I would decrease and you would increase. Help us, Holy Spirit, as we study your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to us in a way that will motivate us to go beyond our comfort zones, will motivate us, God, to step out and to believe the impossible, for all things are possible to him who believes. And Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Back several years ago, back in uh, 2005, there were a number of us who had gathered together uh, to, uh, to plant this church. There were a church that many of us had been previously a part of, and things didn't go so great there. There was some, at least some, a hint or some suggestion of immorality within the leadership. And so there were a lot of people that actually uh, had left that church. That church was about four or 500 strong, and it had kind of dwindled down to about 100 or so because of what had happened. And so a number of people came together, and some of us came together, and there was some talk about starting a church. And so myself was a part of this group, this organization and of people that wanted to get together. And so we had met at a home. We decided that we were going to have that big meeting. And so we, we all got together. We met. And that, big, that first meeting was something special. I sit down and I gave the devotional. At that time, I wasn't trying to be a pastor or anything like that. I was simply there to try and just facilitate and explore what it was that God was trying to do. And I can remember the excitement because I did a devotion and I was coming out of Joshua, uh, coming out of the book of Joshua, and we were talking about Caleb and how that, and Joshua and how that we had entered, how they entered the land of promise and how that they were tenacious of faith and how that, that, that they had the kind of faith that would say that we're going to go in and possess the land. And all of us were pretty excited about that devotional that I had given. But there was one guy there named Neil. I'll never forget Neil. And Neil and I still talk to this day. And Neil, we had probably at that time, probably I would think somewhere around 12 families that was represented in this particular group of people. And Neil said to the folks and you know, after I gave a devotional, everybody's excited, like, wow, we're going to start this church. Go, Ooh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I remember that Neil, Neil stood up and said, Neil said, you all have no idea what you're doing. He said, in fact, um, you know, I've seen this kind of thing before. 
people assemble together and they talk about what they're going to do. And, you know, somebody give a good old pep talk. He called my devotional a pep talk. And that and then, you know, everybody get really, really excited until it's time to put their hands to the plow. And then things start to wane off. And it was interesting because we started the process and everybody looked at Neil and said, Neil, you're crazy. In fact, we all took offense to him because we thought that out of everybody that was a part of the group, here's this guy, what's his problem? Obviously, he's not walking in faith. Obviously, he's not really believing God for him to make such a statement. And many of us, and there were even some people that came to me and said, Gary, you might want to talk to this guy and have him kind of like expelled from the group because he's not operating in faith. You know, we cannot be operating like that. And I thought to myself, well, we're just going to have to see where God leads this thing. And so for a period of about four months, we all met. And what, what was happening was a lot of us were still going to our, a, a regular a church, a current church that we were attending. And then we would come together about 3 o'clock every Sunday. We did that for about four months, roughly. And during that time, the whole idea was that we were going to be praying, we were going to be seeking God. And an interesting thing happened. As we began to explore and talk about this next great move that we were going to be entering into, as we talked about the level of commitment, as we began to to deal with the personality conflict, and instead of resolving those in the biblical sense, it was easier for people to say, to just kind of walk away. But when they saw that the level of commitment and the amount of work that it was going to take in order to get this thing going, many of them did start to fall off. In fact, when we had launched out in 2005 of the 12 family, we only had, like, I believe, two or three families, maybe four, that had remained. Talking about faith this morning, have you ever got really excited about doing something for God? I mean, you say, I'm going to go in. I'm going to conquer this thing. I'm going to do this for God. And then all of a sudden, when you recognize the hard work and what it's going to take, you're not so fired up anymore. Because when you're fired up, it takes takes work. I was listening the other day. I don't know if you all have been watching them, but it's a gentleman. It's a, supposedly there's a move of God that is happening in Florida. Lakeland, Florida, the pastor there named Todd Bentley, who's heading up this, this big ministry. They have been having a revival basically since, I believe, April 12th. I'm sorry, April 2nd, early April. What was meant only to be a week, small amount of time of just a revival and meetings has turned into a daily event. They don't have any stop time. They say, you know, we started, you know, we started this thing. And every single day at 7 o'clock, they meet. Now, the interesting thing about this, this thing is so big that tens of thousands of people come because of this move of God. People are coming from all over the world to come. I mean, every meeting, there's about 10,000 people there at this particular meeting. Miracles are happening God is doing great things. I mean, the, the, you watch it, it's on God TV. It seems like, boy, like it's just, you know, God, some awesome things are happening there. <clears throat> but 
But then last week he gave a testimony, <coughs> if, if you will. He was talking about his, when he was at a point at the pinnacle of his ministry, how that God set him down for 18 months. And that he basically had a nervous breakdown. <coughs> and this is the same guy that we look at and we think, man, God is doing some great things with him, man. Look at, look at this ministry is, is blooming, is blossoming. He already had a multi-million dollar ministry already. And now this thing is taken to a whole nother level. And he began to talk about how he basically had an emotional breakdown. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this man. He'd almost lost his marriage, was almost going down the tubes. His leadership structure, many of them had walked away from him because he had emotionally had shut down to the point that he didn't want to have anything. He didn't want to minister. He didn't want to do any, he didn't want to preach. He was, he had just literally shut down. On top of that, and I forget what it was, he had developed some kind of serious disease that almost killed him. Now, this man is only about 32, 33 years old. And he says that while he's laying down on the hospital bed, depressed because God has sit him down for 18 months, he said there were things that were written about him, things that were said about him. There was there was a suspicion about his life, and he was listening to all of these lies. He says, I'm laying there on the bed, and the first thing I say to God is, God, is this is how I'm going to die? Is this how it's all going to end for me? I mean, God, I mean, I've done these great things to you. I've been an evangelist. I've been all over the world. Am I going to die right here and right now? And he says, for 18 months, God did not allow him to stand in the pulpit because he was sick. He had a whole lot of emotional problems, physical problems that had developed from that. But then when you look at his ministry, though, and you think to yourself, man, wow, look how successful that is. But he began to talk about how that there was a price for the glory, that there was a price that had to be paid, that many of us, we see it on the surface, but we don't know what people have to go through in order to get where they are. And when he was explaining to me or explaining to everybody because it's on TV, my eyes got teary because I'm sitting there listening. This guy got teary eyed because I'm thinking he went through all of that. I mean, this was I mean, I can't even do I'm not doing it justice in what he talked about. But how many of us get a get get I mean, we, 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 we see a move of God and, and we want God to do something in some significant way. We, we, we all hunger for God to move and we want to see an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. But are we willing to pay the price for the glory? And the anointing that is present in that ministry. And if you haven't seen it, y'all take a look at it. It's on God TV every day, seven o'clock. There's a hunger in those people. Those people come from all over the world. There's an atmosphere of faith that when people walk in there, it, it's, it's the same God that is everywhere. But the difference is that the atmosphere is different, that the people come to church with it, with a hunger. The atmosphere is God. We want you to do something. And everybody there screaming, crying out to God. Nobody care about anything. And I looked at this man, him like a lot of other great leaders in the Christian faith. We don't understand what they had to go through in order to minister and to have the kind of accomplishments that we had. And so we look at that and we say, oh, wow, successful. It is successful. But his faith 
was tested. In fact, you think about it, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith is more than just having a conversation about what I can do. You ever hear people say, I'm going to do this for God, I'm going to do that for God, and then all of a sudden when it's time to reveal or to show up or to do the actual uh, task or to endure the hardness, people have a tendency to fall back. But the Bible said that faith without works is dead. Faith that has not been tested is dead faith. Because whether or not we recognize it or not, that we grow in God, we mature in God when our faith is tested. Every great leader, read it in the Bible, every one of them, from David to Samuel to Paul, and even Christ himself, in order to get the glory and to be fruitful and to accomplish what they had to accomplish or what they did accomplish, they all had a price to pay. The question is, what price are we willing to pay? Faith without works is dead. That means that we just can't talk about what we're going to do for God but we have to be willing to take the step and say, okay, God, I'm willing to go through whatever it is that I got to go through. If this means that I am going to go to another level in you, if this means, God, that, that in order for me to receive what I've been, uh, been believing you for, then I'm willing to go through that. I'm willing to do that. And here, we all remember the children of Israel if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 14. We're going to read it here in a second. I'm going to try not to be too long this morning. Numbers chapter 14. The children of Israel, think about it for a moment. Think with me. They were in the land of oppression for 400 years. They were in Egypt. Things had gotten so bad for them that they were crying out to God for God to deliver them and bring them out of Egypt. I mean, they were being oppressed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh <clears throat> was intimidated because of the people of God. Because he noticed that the children of Israel, that they were multiplying, they became so large that he was afraid that if he didn't do something about it, that they would overrun the land. And so he oppressed, he oppressed them. He made life difficult for them. They were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And they, they were so enslaved that they cried out to God, <laughs> cried out to God, and God raised up Moses in this season. God said to Moses, <clears throat> he said, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I see their tears. I see their pain. I see their anguish. Now, Moses, I am sending you to bring my people out of the house of bondage. And so Moses go to do exactly what God called him to do. And through a series of great miracles, God brought them out of the land of bondage. In fact, the biggest of the miracles was a sea that they had to go across. They find themselves at the point of a Red Sea and the enemy is on their back and all it is before them is water and they have no way to get across. It's an ocean. And God does a supernatural move. He parts the Red Sea and the folks walk on dry land. God delivered them. 
And so, watch this now, as God delivered them, and when God delivered them, Miriam and all of the Israelites, they got together and they began to praise God. They had a praise show. They're all worshiping God. They're praising God. They're singing. They're rejoicing. Why? Because God had brought them out. But then a few days later, things change. It's funny how things change. Now the Moses, who's the great leader, and their God who delivered them out so that he can bring them into a land of promise. Now they find themselves with water is not readily accessible like it was. The food, they had to wait a little while. They didn't get it as quickly as they used to get it. <clears throat> so then they start to complain to God and to Moses about, God, why did you bring us into this place to kill us? We could, in fact, we could have stayed in the land of Egypt. Why did you bring us out here, God, to go through all that we had to go through? God, why did you, why did you do that? So throughout this whole process, God ends up doing miracles. He provides them manna from heaven. He gives them water from a rock. He leads them by a fire by night, <clears throat> a cloud by day. God supernaturally provides for them over and over again. And so now they come up to the point in Numbers chapter 14 where they're at the point of getting ready to enter into the land of promise. You remember they were excited at the beginning because God was taking them to a land of promise. God was taking them somewhere. So Moses sent the spies into the land, a Cana. Spies come back. The spies say, wow, look at the grapes. I mean, this surely is a land flowing with milk and honey. They come back and say, everything that God said this land was is that and so much more. It is absolutely beautiful. But here's a problem. There's no way that we can settle in that land because the enemies, the Canaanites and all the folks that were there, they were too strong. They looked at those giants and they said, ain't no way that we can defeat those people over there. But wait a minute. What about the miracles that God did to bring you out? What about how you rejoiced and how you were so excited at the beginning, but now you're finding yourself and having to overcome a few obstacles. Now God has brought you to the point of birth, and you're saying that God can't deliver? No, God is not a God that brings us to the point of birth and he don't deliver. That's not the kind of God that we serve. And so in Numbers chapter 14, after the children of Israel got that word, they had not engaged the enemy a lick. All they had heard was they can't get it. Mentally, they were defeated. Watch this in Numbers chapter 14, verse number one, verses one through five. So all the congregation <clears throat> lifted up their voices and they cried. And the people wept that night. Now, keep in mind, there was nothing that had happened. Nothing had happened at all. They hadn't even engaged the enemy yet, and yet the people are already crying. And all the children of Israel complained, watch this, against Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has 
the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return and go back. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. That is profound. Here it is when they should have recollected and remember all the miracles that God did to bring them there. But all of a sudden, they're right. Now, keep in mind, they're right there. All they got to do now is just go in there, fight the enemy, and they will get their land of promise. They will get it. And so they get there and they see the giants and they think to themselves, they're too big. Those, those, those guys are too strong. And they start crying, weeping. And the worst thing of all that they said was, I want to go back to Egypt. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Talking about your faith being tested. You remember that they cried out to God. God, get us out of this place. God, this is too hard. God, I can't handle this. God, I, this is too much. If you don't do something, God, I'm going to lose my mind. And God comes and God delivered them. And they find themselves at a place. All they got to do is have faith to take a step forward. And all of a sudden, all the excitement, all the miracles God had done, they've forgotten about it. And now their whole thing is, let's go back to Egypt. You see, Egypt represents a type of the world. You see, there's, the Bible talks about how there's pleasure in sin for a season. Isn't that how the enemy does it? How many Christians start off with God? Watch this now. Start off with God. And that the minute that things get hard, the minute that it seems like there are giants in the land that is in your way of achieving your blessing, as soon as it gets difficult, some folks will say, you know what? I may as well go back into the world. It was fact, it was a little bit easier out there. At least I, I had a little bit of fun. You know, crack, and I never did crack or drugs or anything like that, and hopefully none of you ever have and never will. But you talk to a crack addict, they'll tell you, man, there's nothing like crack. In fact, the reason why they get hooked on it, because when they have that first experience, they spend the rest, the subsequent experiences, trying to recapture that, 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 that initial feeling because it is so potent, it is so good. But yet, as good as crack is or seems to you when you take it, it destroys you physically, mentally, and it rips apart relationships. Sexual immorality seems good to the body. Feels good right now until it rips families apart, until it destroys lives. Until people you know, contract sexual diseases and have emotional problems because of sexual immorality. See, that's what the world represents. You know, some of us need to go back and think to ourselves, you know, do I really want to go back to Egypt? Egypt is a type of the world. And the world's pleasures always seem like it's a good thing to have. But how many know it always leaves you empty? That's why many of you are here today. You came to Christ because you were in the world and you recognized and you realized how trashy, how deceptive the enemy was. And all of a sudden now that God has brought you into this place, that, that things get a little bit hard. You want to go back to Egypt? Go back for what? 
What is out there? What have that, what good have that done you? Hasn't done you any good at all. So they wanted to go back because it got too hard. And so the Bible talked about how that they ever learn, but they never come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, one of the things we must recognize as Christians is, if I were to ask each and every one of you, and I say to you, how many of you want to grow in God? Everybody would say, hopefully, want to grow. How many of you want to see God's glory and power in your life? Most people say, that'd be me. I want to see that. Well, watch this now. God matures our faith and the difficulties of our life. You don't learn how to trust God. You don't learn how to love God. You don't go to another level in God when everything is going well. You see, that's a shallow faith. That's what a lot of Christians are today, that, that when things are going good and things are going well the way that I want, God is all right. I'm ready. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. Boy, but when the teeth get turned up just a little bit, it's like, I didn't bargain for all of this. And so what happens is when they should press into God, people have a tendency to turn and want to go back to Egypt. And here's what happened. They never grow in God. They remain at a level because they don't understand that the very thing that seems to be a problem and an obstacle is the very thing that God uses to grow us up and mature us and to make us giants in the faith and take us to a new levels. That is how he does it. It is through the difficulties of life. So you, some of you may know Christians that go around and around in a circle. They're like this. And, and it's like at some point, you know, you're hoping that they're like, haven't I been here before? Why do I keep circling in this circle? Because God is saying, I need you to maintain the same kind of tenacity and faith that you had at the beginning. When I delivered you, when I brought you out, I need you to maintain it when it's not going good for you. Because what I'm doing is I'm working something out in your life. I'm making you something different. I, I am doing something that's going to take you to a whole nother level. And so when you see a man of God, when you see a woman of God who are laying hands on the sick, you're seeing people recover, you're seeing great miracles, what you see is a manifestation of something that these folks had to go through in order to achieve what they got. They had to go through the difficulties, the obstacles, the hard things of life. Because then your testimony has much more power now because you endure something. In fact, I think about, I'm not a Marine, never been in the military. I've heard people cry about Paris Island. You know, and you know how hard it is. I've heard people come and say, men have gotten out there and they cry like a baby because they want to come back home. But an interesting thing happens is that when they finally get through Paris Island, that you go and talk to the Marines. Let me tell you something. You can't, there's not a more patriotic person, patriotic person on the planet. They absolutely love the Marine. They, once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You know why? Because, see, we suffered together. We, we, we cried together. We had to endure the hardness. And now when I put on those dress blues, I'm in my element. I'm in the glory. But now they have such a fond appreciation for that experience and for the Marines now because they had to go through that. But if they would have draw back and say, you know what? This is too hard. 
I can't do it. I, I didn't think it would be this difficult if they would have done that. Mm, mm, mm. They can never sit back and talk about the glory and can appreciate the experience of going through that in order to receive the place of honor. You see, the Bible says that, here's the thing that baffles me. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross, but, but no, but God said, God said, it pleased the father to bruise him. Wait a minute, God, this is your son. This is your son. But the Bible says God was happy to bruise him. God was happy to lay him on the cross because he had you and I in mind. Because of the greater glory that would be revealed later when we are finally brought home. In Mark chapter number four, if you want to turn there with me. Mark chapter number four. Verses 35 to 40. God had been doing so many miracles. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. He shows us how these things work. I mean, this is what I love about God. In Mark chapter number four, verses 35 through 40. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus talking to his disciples. He said to them, let us cross to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And, great, and a great windstorm arose, and the winds beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, watch this, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I was, yesterday, I was, I was trying to fix my lawnmower. And I'm not a, a technical person. I couldn't get that thing to start. And as I'm sitting there right at the mouth of my garage, out of nowhere, it was bright, sunny, hot, humid. We all know what it's like, right? I'm sitting there all of a sudden within the scope of two minutes. The sky got dark, a couple of thunderclaps, and the rain just came gushing down so much so it was pouring into my garage. I had to close the door to the garage. You know, that's how life is, isn't it? Things are all pretty and sunny. Everything is going great. All of a sudden, here comes a storm. It comes out of nowhere. Here Jesus says to the disciples, he said, listen, get in the boat. We're going over to the other side. And how many know if Jesus says you're going to the other side, you got to believe that you're going to get to the other side. Now, he didn't tell you yet what you got to go through to get to the other side, but you're going to get to the other side. And so the disciples now, like many of us, we're in a storm. How many know that sometimes storms leave damages, you know, and knock your power out, knock down a couple of trees. But how many know that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger? Glory to God. 
So the disciples, they are in the boat, and all of a sudden, the storm comes, and water gets inside the boat. You know how many of us are when water's in the boat, we start screaming, water's in the boat, water's in the boat. You know what that means? This thing is going under. We start to panic, start to wonder. And how many know that when we panic, we make decisions out of fear? And the Bible says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And what happens is when we panic, we do some spontaneous stuff because we're in a panic mode. And here are the disciples get the feeling that their boat is about to sink. They're screaming, they're yelling, the boat, I mean, water's inside the boat. There's that feeling now that this thing is about to go under. And what was it that made them feel that way? Let me tell you something. When you feel like in your life, watch this, and this is a revelation, and I'm going to give it to you for free. Remember this. When you feel like that your life is spinning and you have no control, when you feel like that your boat is about to go under. Let me tell you what has happened. What has happened is you have focused on your problem and your problem has become bigger than your God who can solve them. I'll give you an example. You remember Peter? Peter said, Jesus. This is Matthew chapter number 14, if you keep your notes. Jesus, Jesus walking on the water. Peter and the disciples see him walking on the water. It's like, wow. Peter said, I can, I can do that. Lord, tell me to come because I want to walk on the water too. Peter gets out there, and guess what, folks? Peter is walking on the water. I'm, I'm sure that that has never been done in all of history. Peter is walking on the water, and he's looking right at Jesus. He's walking right on the water. All of a sudden, he hears the noise, the wind. The waves get pretty steep, and all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks over here and he sees the winds and the waves and all of a sudden at that moment of time he began to sink when did he begin to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus and his problem became bigger than his God that could solve them and that's at the point when life starts to sink, when we have this feeling that this thing is about to go under because you have elevated your problem above your God. And whenever you take your eyes off of Jesus, there's a feeling that I've lost it. There's a feeling that I'm losing control. And perhaps you have. And thank God that when we do take our eyes off Jesus, that we can scream out and say, Lord, save me. And just like he did Peter, he pulled Peter up out of that water and he got him out. It's good to know that he'll save us when we call on him. It's good to know it, that he has given us that kind of grace. The disciples, this boat is going crazy. Everybody's screaming and yelling. And you would think that Jesus would have, like, woke up, right? <laughs> you would think with all the commotion going on that he would have been like, hmm, at least, what's going on? Why is everybody? He in a, listen, Jesus is in a dead sleep. I mean, think about it. They didn't make big ships like the Titanic. Probably a bad example. They didn't make these big ocean liners back in those days. This is a little boat. Water's in the boat. This thing is in toss. And Jesus is sleep, sleep, sleep. And the disciples looking at him. You can see they're almost getting indignant. Master, do you not care? 
do you not care? Or in the King James Version, carest thou not? Do you not care, God, that I can't pay my bills this month? Do you not care, God, that I got a sickness in my body? Do you not care, God, what those people did to me? Do you not care, God, of the pain and the, the agony that I'm having to go through? God, do you not care? Yeah, that's what the disciples are asking him. Because sometimes, you know, it seems like God doesn't care, right? Seems like it. Seems like you, you, you're tussling and you're trying to make it. You're trying to stay above water and you're praying to God. You're crying out to God. You're saying, God, where are you? And things are silent. It seems like the boat keeps rocking and the water keeps getting in. In fact, it seems like the harder you pray, the worse it gets. And so finally they say to him, don't you even care why you laying there asleep? And Jesus gets up. <laughs> of course, of course he cares. You remember what I said a moment ago that, or I said this last week. God is more concerned about the journey rather than the destination. We are in results kind of people. We pray we want God to do something and we want God to do it yesterday. That's just the way we are. That's the way we're wired. Where God is more concerned about the journey. Because, you see, it's in a journey that we learn to trust him. It's in a journey that we learn to be like him. It's in a journey that your faith is strengthened. It's in trials and tribulations that you learn to grow and become a strong Christian, an anointed Christian, one that can, that, can, that can cast demons out, one that can heal people, one that can do miracles and change the lives of people. It is in the, the journey of life, not the destination. The destination is only a small portion of it. And so Jesus demonstrates to all of us how you're supposed to respond when the boat is rocking and when water is in the boat. Guess what? Jesus was steady, wasn't he? He just sit there. He never moved. He didn't panic, not one bit. It's almost, watch this, it's almost like Jesus expected the storm. How many Christians live life thinking that way? Most of us, if we're honest, we don't want a storm. <laughs> when, I was, when I was there trying to fix my lawnmower yesterday, I never got it to start, by the way. The last thing I wanted to see was a storm. Because, you know, the rain was coming in and I wanted to cut the grass. I, I don't want the storm. I mean, the storm is inconveniencing me. I, I don't need the storm right now. God, not, not now. No, no, no. I don't. But if we're honest, we don't never want a storm. We want things to just go, you know, because you, you grew up like I grew up. Man, everything is going to go just, just, just good. Just believe God. Oh, yeah. But see, what they didn't tell you is that the way God matures you is through going through difficulty. They didn't tell you that the way God matures you is going through the storm. And so Jesus lays there asleep, and he don't panic. He's like, he's steady. He just stays there like, and they had to wake him up out of a dead sleep. But then finally he said this, peace, be still. And immediately, there was a calmness. Wait a minute. Then watch this now. Watch this. If he can wake up out of a dead sleep and say, peace, be still, why didn't he do that in the beginning? 
Why did you let me go through the storm? Why did you let us scream, yell, kick, holler? Why? I mean, if you can just get right up and say, peace, be still. Why did you even let me go through that, Jesus? You could have stopped that. I mean, what's up with this? Is this some kind of a game? I mean, why would you, why, 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 Jesus, didn't you just say, you know what, give us a nice, smooth ride onto the other side of the lake. Just, just let us just glide. Let the sun stay pretty. Give me a nice breeze. Let the water stay calm. I just want to get over. I mean, because you just said, peace be still. And here's what Jesus was showing them and he's showing us today when he said, peace be still. He's showing us that he was always in control. No matter what it is that your life may seem like it's spiraling and you have no control. It's not that God is not in control. God is in control because he stands up and he says, peace be still. So that tells me that he knows what he's doing. And it also tells me that he allowed them to go through that process. Because he, wanted, he looked at each and every one of them and he said to them, why did you get scared? What happened? Where was their faith? I mean, did you not see all the miracles I've already done in your life? The stuff that, why now that you're going through the storm, why don't you believe me now? Where, where's your faith? You mean tell me that, that this right here calls you now because you're having to go through this? That all of a sudden now that, that I can't bring you through? How many know that the same God that said, peace, be still, was the same God that had allowed you to go through the problems that you're going through. So what that tells me is that God has a purpose, and this is why that for the Christian there is no such thing as luck. It's divine. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so God sometimes, he'll sit quietly through the storm because he wants us. You know, I remember my mother, she used to say to me, and I don't know if in the truth it is, you know, some of these tales, don't, when it's thundering and lightning, don't sit near the window. And we could be all yelling and screaming, and then she'd say, everybody sit down, don't move, no talking in the storm. As if the lightning is going to come right through the front door and strike us all dead. I mean, that's the way we used to think, right? Because be still, don't say anything. You know what Jesus is saying to us? Is Watch this. He's saying, yes, this is a test. This is part of my conforming you and preparing you for the ministry that I have for you. But here's what he's saying. He's he's simply saying, be still and know that I'm God. I'm in control. Just like my mom used to say, be still. Don't move. God is saying, be still. Don't move. Just stay steady. You just, just, just don't worry about it. I got this thing. I know what I'm doing. It's going to be all right. Just trust me in this. Trust me in this. Oh. And so now we come to a point that we understand what it means to be tested. See, we understand that there's, there's providence that is involved in this whole process. And that God is in control of what's happening in all of our lives. And so he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produce endurance. You know, testing trials doesn't mean that you're lacking faith. It just means that God is sharpening your faith. 
Trials strengthen you, makes you better, makes you stronger, makes you, it should make you more determined. Without trials, we can never become mature believers. Is there no wonder why there are so many Christians that are surface Christians? Because they never go, when it gets hard, many people say, they do a reverse turn and say, nope, I'm going back to Egypt. Figuratively, figuratively speaking, they go back to the same bondage that they were in, and they never, ever get to go to a higher level in God. I don't know about you, but I want God to use me, and I want to fulfill my purpose in this earth. I don't want to get before Christ and hear God say, well, you know, Gary, I had this for you. I wanted you to accomplish this, Gary. I want you to accomplish that, but you quit. Or, Gary, you, you, you turned and you went back the other way. You gave up on me. Don't give up on God. Because he's in control. And the testing of your faith is going to produce, it's going to make you a spiritual giant. You're going to go places that you never imagined. And after God has, after you've gone through what you've gone through, he's going to establish you. He's going to make you firm. And you're going to be all the better for it. Let's pray. Father, we are appreciative of the fact that you use us. God, help us to be strong in faith. God, let every one of us not fall back when it gets hard. So many people do that. Whether they get offended about some small thing or whether they get mad because you didn't answer a prayer or because, God, you simply allow people to go through certain things and there seems to be no answer. It seems like sometimes you don't care because things don't change for us. And, and God, you gave us a valuable lesson about how that, that you're never worried. There's some, Lord, when you were in the boat, you never doubted for one second that you were going to get to the other side. And God, yet we doubt you all the time. Lord, forgive us. And I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice will learn how to trust you and to understand that the test is part of the process of maturation so that we can become and embrace fully everything that you have already preordained for us. Now, Lord, bless your people. Let faith arise in them. You've heard this word, and. The Holy Spirit has convicted you. Maybe you, you know, you just realized that you have been operating in faith and that perhaps you've even given up on God and said, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired. I, this is a word for you. I want you to repeat after me in the quietness of your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me for giving up on you. Father, forgive me, Lord, for for just not believing you and trying to get my way back into Egypt because I am unhappy about the fact that my situation hasn't changed. God, forgive me for those times when I've taken it for granted. Now, Father, reestablish me. Give me a new sense of purpose and a new faith. Father, Pour out your grace and anointing over me because I want to be used. I don't want to just 
get what's mine, but I also, Father, want to know you in the process. Father, help us to do that. Because, God, we really do want to be used in this hour. Father, we want to see the miracles of old in our church. Father, we want to be able to go to the grocery store and lay hands on people, even in the checkout line, and see them healed and recover. Father, we want to be able to speak prophetic words to people who are looking for answers right on the spot, people that we don't even know. We want to be able to prophesy the word of the Lord to them. This, Father, is what we want. Father, we realize that the church is at its best when it trusts in you and when it is fully surrendered to you. Now, Lord, help us.